this morning, I want us to talk together about, uh, well, what we were just doing, prayer. I want us to talk together about what we were just doing, singing. What were we singing? Songs of praise and prayer. When we read the scripture, what was Psalm 19? It is a prayer. Most of the Psalms, many of them do describe historical events as a part of the praise to God, but they are temple prayers as well as those songs that were being sung. So, we're going to talk about prayer. I have uh, been looking at this, uh, I, I began an outline of a study about three or four years ago of a series on prayer and what that might look like. And um, uh, what I'm doing is I'm taking a few things here and there from that series and, and bringing them to you this morning in a Bible study. But uh, part of the reason why is that I'm realizing more and more as I get older that one of the things that God has given us the privilege of doing is as we age, we can become more powerful. Because our prayers, as God says, as God sees them, our prayers are those things which not only touch his heart, but are involved in the outworking of his will. So, at the same time, I know that there is probably no subject that can induce guilt faster than prayer. I mean, zero to 60 in two seconds. Here, talk about prayer. Okay, I feel guilty. Thank you very much. I know, I need to pray more. Thank you, let's close in prayer. So, even among the Puritans, who are famous for their piety, Thomas Watson said, Christ went more readily to the cross than we go to the throne of grace. So let's begin by agreeing together that we all fall short, okay? Can we just, that's our baseline. We all fall short when it comes to prayer. But prayer is the one ministry that we can all do at any time, in any place, regardless of any disability or any limitation. And here's what I was getting at. As we age, we tend to think that we have less eternal impact because we are more physically limited. And maybe especially those of us, some of us who didn't go to family camp or those who are watching uh, by live streaming. What I want us to realize is that that directly contradicts what Scripture says. It contradicts the way the Bible presents God's view of prayer. It turns out that as we can do less, we can minister more. <laughs> and I think it's no accident that God arranged it that way. And the reason why I've been thinking about this is I'm, I'm going to be speaking at Alexian in two weeks. And it occurred to me that that place can be a powerhouse of God's working, outworking in this community if people will pray. You say, well, Gary, that sounds kind of radical. And I would say, yeah, I've been reading this. And it is. And it is true. There's a, you, this will come as a surprise to you. Did you know that there's a lot in the Bible about prayer? Duh, I know. 
Honestly, it's hard to finish. It was hard to finish this study because as I continue on, I thought, oh, I forgot this passage. And then I come, oh, I need to say that. Oh, I forgot this. Um, and uh, it, I was talking with Kurt about today's topic, and, and Kurt said uh, that he figured I might be talking about this today because of my prayer last week, in which I included 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face. And, and I, I did quote that last week, and Kurt thought, well, that's, Gary may be talking about prayer today, and Kurt has a very high opinion of the interconnectedness of my thoughts. Because after I got off the phone with Kurt, I oh, okay, I need to include that one too. <laughs> I had forgotten to. Oh, I left that out. So what, what may happen is after this study is over, you're going to have plenty of room to say, hey, you know, Gary didn't talk about that, <laughs> or he left this out. Yeah, that's fine. This is a, this is a 12-week study <laughs> that we could talk about. There's just so much in the Bible um, about it. So... What we're going to be doing today is just dipping our toes uh, into the topic of prayer. It's our privilege. It's also our challenge. Uh, it, it's the one thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them, and it became their number one failing at Gethsemane. And then it became the number one thing that sustained them. But that's not where we're going to begin. I'm just, I just want to go back to Genesis to the garden. Because there we see that prayer, as the Bible envisions it, was conversation with God. Adam and Eve communed with God by talking. Now, basically, we could call this maybe something like pray without ceasing, that ongoing talking with God. Now, we know that that immediate communion was broken in the fall, so what do our parents do? And I want you to catch the subtlety of this. What do they do? They hide from God. They hide from omnipresence. The shyness of sin keeps us from entering God's presence because we know what we've done. And we feel guilty in God's presence. And we don't like that. So we pray less. We don't pray. We don't communicate with God. We don't want to be in his presence. John Bunyan, another Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, was right when he said, prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. So if you're reluctant to pray, then there needs to be a heart check there. God knows where our hearts are. And he has made access possible for believers. But it is true, after the fall, there was a separation between us and God. And now prayer becomes part of our work. And we have to pursue habits of prayer. And God's people are to do this. And we see God's people praying. Just if you look through the five books of Moses, I mean, think about Abraham, uh, uh, Joseph, uh, Moses, Joshua. You've got dozens of others as well, uh, people who, were, who had lives of communication with God, and we would call that prayer. After the Jews were in the promised land, after they were in the land, what did they do? They fell into sin. They became oppressed. What did they do then? They called out to God 
in prayer and in repentance. This cycle repeated itself 12 times in the book of Judges. And God responded to their prayers. And right after the Judges, Samuel, in the time of the kings, Samuel, who was the last of the Judges and the first of the Old Testament prophets, Samuel anointed Saul as the king, the first king. And I particularly love his statements, his statement that he made to the Israelites at a very dark time. And here's the scene. The scene was the, the, the uh, renewal and establishment of the kingship of Saul over Israel. Samuel told the people, he told them, you, you have a history of turning away from me. Of course, that is the pattern throughout the book of Judges. And he challenged, Samuel challenged them again to follow the Lord and to be faithful this time. And then the people asked Samuel to do what? Pray for the servants, for your servants to the Lord your God, 1 Samuel 12, 29, uh, 12 19. Pray for us. Please pray for us. And listen to Samuel's reply. Far be it from me that I would sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray from you. Now, to pray for you. That assumes he has been praying for them, and he's telling them, I'm not going to stop praying for you. Plus, I'm going to instruct you in God's word. He says, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. And he did. Now, prayer, the theme of prayer continues through the scripture, and I'm just going to jump ahead uh, to Kings from Samuel to David with all of the Psalms that David wrote, which were mostly prayers, on down to Solomon. And last week I mentioned in my prayer the promise that God made to Israel after the dedication of the temple by Solomon, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now, this is not a promise to heal the United States of America. We are not Israel. We were not we are not in their land. We are not in that temple. But while Israel's land promise is not ours, the pattern of prayer is most certainly ours. Humble yourselves. Pray. Seek his face. Turn from your wicked ways, which is called repentance. And then in that temple, what did they do? They sang the psalms, prayers set to music. My point is this. Is you, it's just just. Look at the Old Testament. Just look at that whole thing. The point is that God intended prayer to permeate the lives of his people. And it was ongoing communication. It was talking with God. And actually, to the degree that they were faithful to him, to that degree, they were praying people. They prayed without ceasing. Now, so that's just... So a glimpse, dipping our toes into the Old Testament. When you look in the New Testament over here, first thing that comes to mind is obviously the prayer life of Jesus. But the prayers of Jesus were different in kind. And here we need to be thoughtful when we read those prayers. When I speak with one of my friends, my communion with them is different than when I speak with Betsy, because Betsy and I are one. We're one. There's a different relationship, even if the words may be the same in the communication. Here's what I'm getting at. 
our relationship has a, is of a different kind. It has different depth than our relationships with people outside of our marriage. Jesus prayed out of his deity in his communion and oneness with the Father, which we cannot do. But Jesus also prayed out of his humanity. And there's kind of one of those much more arguments here. If Jesus in his humanity had need to pray, how much more do we? For example, in Luke chapter two, chapter six, verse 12, in those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Just one verse, just extracted. But if you look in the context, what did he do next? He chose the 12 disciples. Those two, I believe, were integrally connected uh, with each other. So when you, when you, you know, we, we could do an entire series really just on the prayer life of Jesus. But it, is so, it was so obvious. It was so intense. It was, it was so much a part of his daily life that the disciples came to him. And here's what the disciples asked them, asked Jesus. Lord, teach us to perform miracles. No, no, I'm sorry, that wasn't it. Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us to lead a missions committee. Lord, teach us to head a church building program. Okay. You know, I'm messing with you. That's not in the text. What did he say? Lord, teach us to pray. And here's a caveat. If you look at the prayer life of Jesus, as an example for us to follow, that's going to induce guilt real fast. It, it was just so intense that it would discourage us. But if you see Jesus as opening up the access, which is what Hebrews 4 is talking about, opening up the access so that we can come before the throne of grace, then we understand that that's, that's the path for us to follow. In fact, the, here's how the Bible presents the basis of prayer. Because of Jesus' atoning death on the cross, because of his resurrection, you can be adopted by grace through faith in Jesus Christ into the family of God as his sons and daughters. And you are the sons and daughters of the king of kings. That's why Hebrews 4 describes what Jesus did so that we can pray. And the chapter concludes, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may find mercy, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're going to come back to that one more time in a, in a moment. Our communion that was broken by the disobedience of the garden was settled by Jesus' prayer of submission and obedience in the Garden of Gethsemane and was sealed and restored at the cross. The very expression of that communion is prayer. So after Jesus ascended, how do we see prayer in the life of the early church? Prayer was utterly critical in the life of the early church. In Acts chapter 1, we see uh, the church gathered together before the Spirit ascended, uh, descended. So this is before the Spirit came. I'm just, just going to read several verses to you. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Then all these with one mind were, were, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Continually devoting themselves to prayer. And then after the Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, we read in verse 40, verses 41 and 42, so these so then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Devoting themselves to prayer. Devoting themselves to prayer. That was the life of the early church. Same words. In chapter 3 of the book of Acts, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So there was prayer there as well in the temple. They were, uh, they, but as they entered, they healed a lame man and then preached Jesus to the crowds who gathered after the healing, and then they got arrested, and then they set free, were set free, and then they were rearrested, and they were asked to explain to the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, what they were doing, and listen to what Peter said to the Sanhedrin. In Acts chapter 4, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Yeah, that's the pattern. So the Sanhedrin threatened them. What did the believers do? The Sanhedrin threatened them, and immediately Peter and John go out into the city, find the other believers, and they gather together. Listen, listen to this. When they had been released, they went to the companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord. They prayed. That's the first thing that they did. They prayed. And we read, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak the word of God with boldness. Because they had prayed, Lord, help us stay strong. We need strength for this. And God answered that prayer. Now, maybe you're used to that story. Maybe you've heard that story before. Maybe you've read the book of Acts before. But does it strike you as odd? that the only thing that they do is pray. Because actually, what else? It's not just what else can they do. It's also what more could they do than pray? Prayer was their, uh, prayer was what they went to in that moment. Well, time passed, and without going into more detail in the, in, in the book of Acts, uh, some of you may remember 
that a problem arose within the church. Wait a minute, a problem within the church? You mean Christians can have problems with each other? We can have different opinions and we can kind of butt heads sometimes within the church? Yes, that happens. And what did they do? Well, if you read Acts chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 7, you will see that twice in that passage, they prayed. And then the problem was addressed with truth, and then it was resolved. First thing that they do, they pray. That is what the early church was engaged in all throughout the book of Acts. Now, if, if we move, look beyond Acts, if we dip our toes into some of the epistles, what do we find there? I'm going to give you a few, I'm going to read a few verses to you from some of the epistles. And when I read these verses to you, just be aware, I'm reading them in the chronological order in which they were written by, by Paul and on, and on into the, uh, the latter part of the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians, this was, this was one of the first letters written. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 and 3, Paul writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. And he, then he explains why. 1 Thess chapter 3, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy when we, with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we, night and day, Keep praying most earnestly for you, that we may see your face. And then the book ends by saying, rejoice always, which is the shortest verse in the Bible, in the Greek text, if you like trivia. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. To whom? To God. That's called prayer. All of that is prayer. For this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. So pray without ceasing. That is God's will. And the next book, 2 Thessalonians, in light of the Lord's second coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ, to this end also we pray for you always. In the next chapter, but you but we should always give thanks to God for you. That's, again, prayer. And here are Paul's prayer requests in that book. Finally, brethren, pray for us. And he gives the reasons why he wants them to pray for him, which include, just as with the early church, with Peter and John, boldness in proclaiming the truth of, God, of the gospel. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes, for this, for the, because of your deep faith, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And he prays for their continued spiritual growth. This is, friends, this is praying without ceasing, isn't it? And he, conclu- he concludes Ephesians uh, in, in chapter 6 by saying, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints to persevere in your petitions for all the saints and pray on our behalf, my behalf. So what is Paul asking them to pray for? Is he asking them to pray because he's, in, uh, he, he's incarcerated in Rome? Pray that I will get out of here. No, pray that I will again speak with boldness, that utterance will be given to me. In the book of Philippians, 
there, there's a, just a great prayer here. I, and I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians. A couple of things I want you to see here. As you're turning to Philippians chapter 4, I want to read to you a couple of prayers that he offers uh, in, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 and 9 and 10. This is a great prayer for you to pray for your church. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So love and truth going hand in hand. This is what I pray. This is what I'm praying and what you need to be praying for each other so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at Philippians chapter 4, here's what I wanted you to see. Uh, take a look at verse, uh, at verse 4. Paul's near the end of this book, near the end of the comments that he is going to make to them. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. I left out a word. What's the word? Rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, that's called prayer without ceasing because you're rejoicing in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So be joyful. Let your gentle spirit, let your sweet reasonableness be known to all men. The Lord is near. So be joyful, be gracious. And then he makes sure that they understand the sweetness of the nature of prayer. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. No exceptions. No exceptions. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, no exceptions. In everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will mount guard on your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to think about this. In prayer, we are open before God. We are vulnerable before God. Can you enter into God's presence without Him knowing exactly what's in your heart, exactly who you are? No, you can't. Absolutely not. He knows you intimately. Now, when you and I talk together, I can fool you about me, and you can fool me about you, but we can't fool God about who we are before him. We enter into his presence. We're not hiding as Adam and Eve initially did with the shyness of sin. We enter into his presence totally open, totally honest. Lord, here's where my heart is, and please forgive me, and and, and help me, Lord, to walk with you more faithfully. Show me what to do this day. Lord, you know what I really and truly desire, and this is it. Let your requests be made known to God. And you're not telling him something he doesn't know. He knows what your desires are. And then you say, Lord, if those desires are wrong, transform me, the renewing of my mind. Change me so that I have different desires that align with your will. Lord, here are my desires. Change them, answer them, or whatever you, you choose to do. Work your way in me so that I will be more like Jesus as I come out and through that process. 
So he, he died. I mean, think about this. Jesus died for you knowing everything about you. Knowing every sin that you ever did commit, every sin that you ever will commit, every thought that you've ever had. Totally exposed before him with whom he had to do, as Hebrews says. He knows it all. He died for you knowing that. So why should we allow the shyness of sin to keep us from prayer? Why do we not pray? He knows the, every darkest secret of my soul. Now, let me, let me clarify something here for a moment. Prayers are not long, ornate phrases and clauses strung together to impress God with our knowledge of multi-syllable theology words. Okay? Prayer is not a formula that you follow so that if you get it right, you push God's vending machine buttons and you get the right outcome. Because he must do what you command him to do. No. Prayer is communion with God, speaking the truth honestly and openly, what is on your heart. And, it, and it's also asking God to conform your will to his will. One of my professors, uh, Howard Hendricks, years ago, used, used to uh, describe a situation uh, where there was a new believer in his prayer group, and uh, he had come to Christ, I think, if I remember the details of the story, about a couple of weeks before and he was first time in praying with the, all of these other men. And uh, when the prayer meeting was over, or was near over, uh, he, he turned to Dr. Hendricks and he said, uh, would it be okay if I pray? And uh, Pro Professor Hendricks said, of course. And this is what he prayed. Lord, this is Jim. We met last week. I don't know how to say it the way these men do but I love you. Amen. And Dr. Hendricks' observation was, we scraped the stratosphere, Jim prayed. You know why our prayers are heard? First, because we're God's children, and he's a good father. Second, because Jesus intercedes for us. Hebrews 7.25 reminds us he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And third, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Romans 8.26, the Spirit also helps our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He's our interpreter. <laughs> so when we don't pray, we don't have that intercession with God from Jesus and the Holy Spirit. When we let sin, do you understand? I'm talking to myself here too, okay, please. When, when, when we let the shyness of sin keep us from prayer because we're embarrassed to enter God's presence, mm, we're aborting every good thing that God has planned for us. So we've seen so far that prayer is just utterly critical. It's critical for a church gathered, but it's also critical. And, and, and some of these passages relate to churches. Some of the passages relate to you as an individual. It's critical for our own private prayers. It's both and. Uh, I, I, for churches, I, I love the passage in, in 1 Timothy 2.8 where Paul, Paul says, 
uh, he, he's helping Timothy navigate disagreements within the church because who knew that could happen? Helping Timothy navigate that. He says, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And the chief antidote in the context to wrath and dissension, the way to get rid of wrath and dissension, you pray together. There are a lot of other passages. Uh, I mentioned the passage in Hebrews chapter 4 that because we have access through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's so much more there. Uh, what book are we now studying in our regular series on Sundays? James. James chapter 1 begins, if any of you lack wisdom, what are you supposed to do? Ask of God. Pray. James ends, I'll just say, I'll just read this at the, from chapter, chapter 5. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured forth rain, and earth produced its fruit. And we're going to dive into that in a few weeks. Well, here, here, here's an interesting one. In 1 Peter 3, 7, if the husband does not treat his wife well, listening to her in an understanding way, God will not hear your prayers. Oh, 1 Peter 3, 7. Of all possible judgments for Peter to mention there, God's going <laughs> to, don't bother praying. <laughs> oh, well, the, and the Bible closes with this. Revelation 22, verse 20. A prayer. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now, I am, I am fully aware uh, that this is more of a Bible study, as I said, than a, than a sermon per se. And what I want us to do, just dipping our toes in here and there in different books, um, like I said, this, is, this has been on my mind, and I'm kind of forming this together in my thoughts for uh, what to say to Lexi in a couple of weeks. But I, I, I have a couple of things for us to consider, some perspectives and some challenges. I don't want you to leave, uh, I don't want you to leave with the impression that if you pray, God will give you what you want. Nowhere in the Bible is that promised. How does God answer prayer? Here's what we see. Yes. No. Wait. Yes, we get that. When, when God answers prayer with, with a yes. We love that. We're thankful. Should you be thankful when he answers with no? When God closes a door? That's happened to me so many times in my life. God closes the door, and you, but you have to, at that point, you say, Lord, you know better than I whether or not that door was for my eternal good, for the good of my family, for the good of my wife. For the, you know. so at that point, you say, thank you, Lord. The door's closed. Because he, like a loving father who knows all things, knows what will be for our eternal good. But sometimes God answers, wait. And to us, it kind of feels like no. <laughs> At least for right now, it sure is no. No, not yet. 
But again, we can trust him with weight for the same reasons. No, my child, you're not ready for that responsibility yet. But in a year and a half, I know that you will be. However the Lord is, is working that out in our lives, he is our loving father. I saw, I think we're all familiar with the example when God says no to a prayer request. In, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul describes his thorn in the flesh. It was agony for him. And he beseeched the Lord in three extended times of prayer. Lord, remove this from me. Three extended periods of time of prayer. And the Lord came back and said, no, no, no. Three times. And this is what the Lord communicated to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. For power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul confirms God's response when he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. As you get older, can you say, when I am weak, then I am strong? Because that's the way that God sees you. Now, uh, basically, the first perspective was, does God answer prayers? Yes. Yes. He answers them with yes or no or wait. Does, secondly, does prayer change things? I believe it's clear from Scripture that it does. Now, exactly how it does and how that feel, fits with God's uh, eternal will, that's a study in itself. But I will also tell you this. Prayer changes the prayer. It changes you, it changes me. It changed Paul. It changes all of us. I've told you this story before. It's an old, uh, um, sometimes people remember, remember stories, but when I was in seminary, um, I, there was a guy in my class who was extraordinarily annoying. I mean, he, would, he was socially awkward, you would walk down the, uh, down the hall and he would be walking past you and you would say, hello, and his name is Walter. Hello, Walter. And he would not even look at you. He would just go run on past, ignore you. He would sit in the front of every class, in the front. And he had this comb. See, that's not, that's not Walter's comb, that's mine. It's on the floor right now. I'm going to leave it there. But he had this comb and he would, he would do that about three or four times every class period. Just comb his hair back like that. I got to where I hated that comb. And he would, he would raise about 10 minutes of questions per class. And they were so annoying. They had nothing to do with anything. He would just... And we were all getting annoyed with Walter. And uh, one, one day, my closest friend in seminary, um, he's spoken here, his name is Tom Paul. Tom, much more spiritual than I, uh, and, and Tom said, you know, we ought to pray for Walter. And he challenged me that whenever Walter's hand went up, that we would pray, you know, Lord, be with Walter, bless him, give him a good day, and help him to learn what he needs to know. And Walter's hand went up. And so that we just started to pray for Walter. And I, 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 over the months, Walter was, became less annoying. 
kind of a miracle how that happened. And, and one day I was uh, walking with Walter. I'm sorry, I was, I was walking into the dining hall and there were several empty tables, but Walter was over there eating by himself and I asked him if he minded if I sat down and talked with him or, or ate with him. And he said, <laughs> and, he, and he, we started talking. And he opened up and I found out the horrific background that he came from. And it was just awful. And I, I just wondered how, how he's going to make it in life. And uh, we left the dining hall. And, and he stayed with me and followed me down to the mail room. And I got my mail and he stayed with me and I went to the bathroom. <laughs> it was just, he was just, it was like this guy was hungry for a friend. It was so strange. And that's because my friend challenged me, pray for this guy. Um, and I was wondering what happened to Walter. And I looked him up online this week and found his obituary. And it said, Walter's earthly life amidst its many twists and turns is now complete as he has passed peacefully into the arms of his precious Savior on Saturday, May 12, 2018. Hmm. Prayer changes the prayer. So, let me suggest to you that you pray without ceasing. I'm going to just close with this thought. There's so many times where you can just live a life of prayer. And when you get in the car, instead of turning on the radio or a podcast, take that time to pray. Uh, or at least pray, have some prayer time first. When you're at an exercise bike, that's a great time to pray. When um, I wake up a lot in the middle of the night, and while that's not my favorite time to pray, uh, that's when I pray myself back to sleep. And, um, you know, I don't feel very powerful in those moments, but according to Scripture, those are mighty prayer. We pray without ceasing because when I am weak, then I'm strong because he is strong in us. Scripture says the most effective weapon that we have is prayer. And it's the one thing that all people can do at all times, in all places, for anyone, for anything. And whether you are an invalid at home or you're in the like the folks over in, in Alexian, uh, whether you are aging and your, your, your bones are creaking more and more, but all of those things, we, we, what we have available to us, according to God's word, is the most powerful ministry we can ever engage in as we pray for one another, as we pray without ceasing. So, what I want to do right now is we could talk all day about the topic of prayer and not pray. So I want us to pray. I'm, I'm just going to give you a moment of silent prayer, and I want you to do this. In this silent prayer, I want you to ask God to help you to become a person of prayer, um, either to begin it or to continue it faithfully, to talk with him, to be aware of his presence so that as you talk your way through the day. You're praying without ceasing. And uh, let's you know, have that 
just take this moment as a moment of commitment. So let's just have a moment of silent prayer. Father, that we thank you that because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have access to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.